1: Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit Botoxcosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three five one zero three zero zero. 351 See for yourself at Botoxcosmetic.com. Escape the ordinary with green and blacks.
2: Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of the
1: Moments That Made Me, the weekend podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour.
0: Hello, my name is Irene Feehan and today I'm chatting with Anne and Linda Nolan, who for more than 40 years have performed as members of the hugely successful Irish girl group, the Nolans. Their smash hit, I'm in the mood for dancing, cemented their place in pop history and the sisters went on to build long, successful careers in the music industry selling over 30 million records. Cancer has long been an unwelcome visitor in their lives. In 2013, younger sister Bernie, once the lead singer of the group, died from breast cancer aged 52. Six years earlier, Linda lost her husband, Brian Hudson, also to cancer. And last year, Anne and Linda decided to go public when they were both diagnosed with cancer again. They bravely posed for pictures and appeared on TV with shaved heads. Their hair has since grown back and they have found time to co-write a memoir titled Stronger Together. It's their story of dealing with cancer and how the shared experience deepened their bond. So a little over a year ago, you were on the high seas with sisters Maureen and Colleen on a five star cruise. Now, in video clips from the reality TV show that you were recording at the time, The Nolans Go Cruising, you all looked so happy and healthy. And then soon after returning home, you both were told that your cancer had returned. So what was that like at that moment to be told after such a high experience on the high seas? So perhaps Anne, would you say what was that like to get that news first?
3: Um well my cancer was um it wasn't hadn't returned, it was a new cancer. So um it was um, very traumatic. And when I found the lump, I thought, oh, it's probably just, it'll probably go away, you know. But then I thought, well, even if it doesn't go, it goes away, it goes away, but I still need to go and get it checked. So I went straight away, more or less, the day after I'd found it. And um, I kind of knew, you know, what, yeah. when the doctor examined me, that her reaction, because I'd been through it before, 20 years before, I kind of knew that it, this one, because I've had lumps all through my life removed from my breasts, but they've always just said, yeah, it's just a cyst, we'll just, just aspirate it. And I knew this time because she sent me to the clinic and I went and had a mammogram and I knew by their reaction and all the things they did that it was cancer. So when they actually told me, I was expecting it. I kind of knew, you know, so it was still really, really traumatic and very, very upsetting, you know, but um, the good thing about it was it was it was um a new cancer it wasn't a secondary cancer
0: so that was a bit of good news and that's made your prognosis a little better then hasn't it
3: so yeah so they said it was curable and i'd have to have really extreme chemotherapy and then an operation and then radiotherapy which i've had all of them and but the prognosis was really good and after my operation when i had a, a scan they said they couldn't find any trace of cancer there at all so yeah it was amazing fantastic
0: Linda, yours was different because this was the third time you were told you had cancer.
2: Yeah, first in 2006. Then again, in 2017 is when it became secondary breast cancer and it had metastasized, which means the cells had gone to my hip, which I fell up the stairs um, and I heard a crack and I just thought, oh, I've done something, you know, I just hurt myself kind of thing. And then Anne was with me at the hospital, actually, and um, they said yeah, well, we think you fractured your hip. So that's an operation, you know. And I went, oh, right. And then they came back in and said, we're just going to take another look at uh, the long bone in your leg. We'll take pictures of that. And then she said, you know, with your history and everything. And she went out and I said to Anne, didn't expect that to be happening you know your history and um and i said oh, they're just checking it because of our history they're just you know double checking it and then three days later they told me that i i uh that we've seen something there a mass it could be a cyst i said could it be cancer and they went yes and uh, and then they said it was cancer eventually and um you were fab though you didn't break down or anything and did you uh, well, not really. I phoned Annie because our sister-in-law works in the hospital. So I phoned her in, initially and she came over from where she was and I had a little cry with her. But it's weird. Yeah, it's um, it's just scary, you know, because they told Bernie her cancer was treatable but not curable. And she only lasted for a year, didn't she? A year at the most. But some women live 15, 20 years, you know. Mm. So hopefully I'm going to be one of those women. The day Anne found out that her cancer, it was cancer. I found out that I needed to have an MRI because they'd seen something on my, uh, on my liver. And, um, and then Maureen phoned to say, yes, Anne's is confirmed. And then about an hour later, I got the information that mine was, you know, and, um, and I didn't tell them for two or three days because everyone was so devastated with Anne, you know, I thought, God, we can't put them through it again, you know, but of course they found, you know, you have to tell them eventually.
0: It had to come out. And you both ended up being treated at the same time in the same hospital with chemotherapy. It must have made a huge difference that you were there to support each other.
3: Yeah, I mean, Linda kind of more or less arranged all that. She phoned up and said, look, we're sisters. We were both having chemotherapy at the same time. We're going through a pandemic. You know, we can't have anybody with us at all. Nobody. Um, And normally when you're having chemotherapy, you know, they all had chairs next to where the patient sits so that their relative could sit there. But because of the pandemic, every was social distanced, and um, she said, "Could is it possible that we could have our chemotherapy together?" And they agreed, didn't they? And, yeah. And it was yeah. First of all, they went, "Oh,
0: yeah. how unusual!" Oh
2: yeah. Well, I I always say you know you've heard of the chemical brothers with the chemo sisters. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was he was okay, and they arranged it, and it was. You know, Maureen uh, moved in with Anne immediately to live because of pandemic. So they were in a bubble and I moved in with my sister, Denise, and her partner, Tom. But they both dropped us off at the hospital at different times. And they said they both cried because it was like leaving your four-year-old at the school gate. You know, they couldn't be with you. And they walked in and we had our little bag with our drink and our sandwiches in, you know. (laughs) And um, for me, it was nice getting when I'd get there. Anne would be in from nine in the morning to like six in the evening because she was having... The proper full all different treatments, and um, and I was having palliative chemo, so I was only having one treatment, which was a Braxane, which we both had. But um, I'd get there in the afternoon, and I'd say, you know, Denise has sent you a phone, and Maureen sent you an apple, you know, and a book to read. Such and, a huge yeah, family so bond.
0: I'm really struck by that. In another interview, I, I I read where you you talked about the the Nolan Wall about that. It's so yeah. solid that bond between you. And I'm I'm wondering then, it's, that seems to have has sustained you hugely down through the decades. And even though there have been difficulties along the yeah, way. Yeah, my husband
2: used to call us the cavalry because he said whenever anything happens, good or bad, he says you all come from different corners of the car park, as it were, and you form this wall around you. And, you know, you get through it with humour because we have a very, um, not sick humour, but very... Um, it's weird argument, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. you know, People might not understand it I think it's inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And, um, and we were there for each other. But of course, with Covid, when we found out about Anne, all we could do was stand at the garden gate and say hi. You know, it was it was really and you really suffered with that, didn't you? Because and you're your such a tactile
0: family as well. You often talk about reaching out to hug each other and that kind of physical support. So how difficult not to be there. To give it to each other. Yeah, for really. For sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that's what made it so good that we, it sounds terrible, that, though, that we were both <laughs> going through it at the same time because we were able to support each other, you know, because we didn't have the rest of them really at that, apart from
0: Denise and Lynn and Laurie. Uh, and the title of your book is Stronger Together. Yeah. 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 So that uh, really tallies, doesn't it, that you were able to support each other through a very difficult time. And it's lovely to see you sitting side by side here now, still supporting uh, yeah. each other, which is re- really lovely to see. <laughs> Um, thank you. I'm aware that every family has a dynamic and each sibling often plays a particular role. and I was wondering what ones did you play as children and have these changed? and I just got I'm aware when I was reading about you in the book and you described yourself as the quiet one and Linda, you said I'm the gin girl. So I was just <laughs> the, ginger. the ginger. You said I was the ginger, and there was a fun it time. so probably did. But so, I, you
2: know, I do love a gin. I've got my own gin out actually. Your own gin.
0: Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the name of the gin is
2: Hudson's. It's um, it's my married surname. It's at Hudson Spirits, and it's passion fruit and watermelon. It's a pink gin, and it sold out the quickest selling celebrity alcoholic beverage. Congratulations! Sell out in fifteen hours. Yeah, uh, congratulations. So it's, um, just a little sideline, really, you know, because show business has been decimated, really, you know, with COVID. And it was my agent said, Do you fancy doing this? And you think, Yeah, all right. And then I'm sent samples, and you know, so funny trying the samples, five different flavours. Me and my friend did it, and at the end I was going to oh god, I feel sick, I don't like any of them at the moment. Not now. <laughs> but um, yeah, as a kid, I was the um the but the boisterous one. I was a bit of a tomboy, and I was the um I'd get overexcited you know they'd catch us jumping off a wall and after about 12 times this actually happened at Uncle Fred's house and after about 12 times they went we're not catching you this time and they'd catch me because I'd jump again but eventually they didn't catch me and I lost my two front teeth mm-hmm. on the floor yeah but you know so if you're right should have listened <laughs> you know so I was very I used to get very excited as a kid she you know. always
3: wanted to organise things and she's still like that now. Yeah. She lo- loves organising things,
2: you know. Yeah, I'd love to be. Making sure everybody's got like, what they should have and where they It's like if I'm at a wedding be. and one of the bridesmaids is holding her flowers wrong and I don't really know them that well, I literally go up and go, you're holding flowers different yeah. to everyone else. Or if the bride has got a beautiful train on her dress and nobody's fixing it, I go up and go, excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That's you know, your showbiz yeah. because, background back. And then perhaps. when they see it, they go, I'm so glad you did that. It looked yeah. better, you
3: know. She likes it. yeah, she likes
2: fixing the
0: things. And and um, what about your role then? Was it the quiet one or was it more than being the quiet one?
3: I kind of um I don't really know, to be honest with you. I was the eldest, so I think my mom and dad kind of relied on me quite a lot when they were on this, because they like, were both working, weren't they? Yeah. So I kind of got fell into that kind of role, you know what I mean, the big sister kind of role.
2: Um but uh, She used to do my ponytail She was literally and yeah. ah, I
3: know Everything yeah. had to be symmetrical You know <laughs> A bit of OCD Even when I was a kid yeah. Um, But I was um, My eldest brother and I Were, were very close as well You know he was the, I was the only good girl that was allowed into his gang Sort of thing Because um, she was
2: You were a tomboy when you were kid. Oh really my tomboy, god yeah. And yeah. if there was any bullying At school or whatever Like Denise was bullied At school for a little while She's dogged up I'm going to get my big sister On to you You know Yeah, yeah.
0: Well done. And then it seemed to me that back when you went back on that great cruise, um, that there was an opportunity for you. You said that you actually went back and you reverted to type. You, had, you hadn't been with each other that much, but suddenly you were back in oh, your you usual roles. You kind of fall into
2: that, those kind of, you know, Colleen was the baby again. and um, She doesn't she doesn't talk a lot, does she? I think as a kid, you know, in our house, if you didn't shout, you didn't get heard really. So I was, me and Bernie, when we were doing it before, Bernie and I were the gobby ones again. You know, and Anne was like, "Yeah, yeah big sister again, and boring quiet, yeah. you know, you just I think you just do that naturally, but um, and each great, has an important role, time.
0: yeah, such a wonderful opportunity for oh, you, was fabulous for yeah. sure. I was wondering then, in terms of you have lived since like you were children, a very public life." And and also I'm impressed by how willing you are to speak about the difficult parts of your lives as well. Like you've talked about marriage breakdowns. You have talked about your health issues, serious family issues as well. And I'm wondering how has this helped you or has it and maybe perhaps also hindered you, that ability just to talk about things as they are, unvarnished?
3: I think definitely helps you know because you're not frightened of talking about things a lot of people it's not that they're not frightened about talking about them it's just that they they don't feel they can or they or they should
2: they don't know what the
3: repercussions you will know, be yeah. and we've got to, to the point where we think well you know we've had people saying things about us online and stuff and we're not worried about that anymore so we just talk about things you know and we talk about it to each other and it's easier then to talk about it publicly as well and I think
2: whenever we've done Books, you know, we've had individual books ourselves, and then this book together. We always wanted to, for me, to go down the bad because nobody's life life is a bed of roses, you know. No. And so, I think, you know, we've only ever, I think, it's a way of giving back to the public. Really, I mean, that might sound, you know, people may think, oh, she thinks she is, <laughs> um but what I mean by that is that, um you know, it's the only way maybe that we can help other people who've been brilliant with us. I've just helped a fan go through cancer. I've been with her, her whole journey, and um, and I, I kind of liked the fact that she'd asked me and asked what it was what it was like. You know, she, you know, she text me to say, "Does radiotherapy do you lose your hair?" And so I could tell her, you know, no, you don't. And our book, although we talk about things and and medicines and there's nothing medical that we can offer really. We can only go from our our um, experiences with uh, cancer and our lives, in fact. And so I think you know, whenever we've done a book, it has to be the warts and all, as Colleen says, you know, otherwise it's, you know, anyone can write a fairy story, can't they?
0: And I'm wondering, is that part of your appeal as well, your enduring appeal, is that people get to see all of you as opposed to just the showbiz side, that you have a big life story as well? What would you say about that, Anne?
3: I think, yeah, I think think people like to see how you actually live. You know, they see your public persona and they see, you know, on TV and all that, but I think they like, to see the real person behind the persona, if you know what I mean. um, I think that, I think, because I do, I love to see yeah. people, you know, I see them on TV or in films and then you read about their real lives. Yeah, it's
2: really, really interesting, I think. And it was like us on the cruise, we didn't, you know, we were not determined, but none of us got up at seven in the morning and did full makeup because we knew we were being filmed because that isn't, you know, there were filming, you know, to follow our lives kind of thing. And we don't do that. You know, God bless the Kardashians, but we were seen on TV without makeup more than with it on, weren't we? And that's very liberating.
0: So in a way, you've you've never been alone, even at your darkest moments. It sounds like you've never really been alone, either through because of all your family support or because you've all this public support as well.
2: (laughs) Our fans have been brilliant with us. We have fans who now have their grandchildren, you know, and they play in the mood for dancing, to their grandchildren, you know. And we've been really, really lucky with our fans. You know, we used to call them the regulars and they'd follow us around and, you know, always be on the front row. And now they're all parents and grandmothers themselves, you know. And it's um, we're we're really grateful for that as well.
3: Yeah, I think um, when you say, you know, you're never really alone, the thing with cancer is that although you have all these people around you, there are moments when you do feel like you're alone, you're the only person in the world, you know, because... You know, when you go to bed at night and you're thinking about things, and you just feel oh, this big black cloud now and again comes over, and you think, oh God, I've got cancer, you know. And it's learning to live with that and
2: dealing with it really that is hard. hard Yeah, we both reached out for. I mean, I've been having counselling for a long time with the same counsellor, which has been amazing. And this time, because Anne so suffered really badly with anxiety, which you've never had before, no. um, Anne reached out uh, and and had some counselling, so. You know, again to say to people there's help out there you know Anne is right it's, it's at night and sometimes I've been out and you put on this brave face and everything and then you shut the door and you slide down the wall and think I can't do this anymore you know mm-hmm. and um and like you know again I would sit up in bed and I feel rubbish and if Brian had been here he'd be rubbing my back saying it's okay what do you want what can I do and then of course I start missing him all over again
0: and it brings back that that kind of loneliness so that's a very human response to the huge stress you're both you've both been under yeah i think that's a really important point about the mental health side of things as well so again and maybe it's somehow to do maybe it's a more irish thing and you're both irish but that idea that you put on your brave face and you just keep going whereas i think perhaps in england there's a greater acceptance that people have mental health issues at times and also get help for it. And uh, I think that, again, that's leading the way by saying, look, if you need the help, go get it. And this is our experience.
2: Well, I said to Anne, because she was a little bit hesitant at first, weren't you? And I said to Anne, the thing, and I said to everyone, to be fair, the thing about counselling is, if you go the first time and it's not for you, and it won't be for everybody. But if you try it and, and it works, then it can only be a good thing. But if you try it and it's not for you, you don't have to go back you don't sign a contract to have six sessions or, you know, you just say, it's not for me. I'll find some way else, you know, yeah. it saved my life.
3: My eldest daughter was a great help to me in that as well. Yeah. Because she's done courses on mental health. So she knows quite a bit about it, you know, so she's able to advise me about things and, you know, tell me, like Linda said, for some people, it's not, it doesn't work for them. You know, and she just said to me, just have it, mum. And if you don't like it, you can always say, no, I don't want it anymore. It's not, that's not my thing, you know. Um, and in the beginning, when I started having it, because I had this terrible anxiety, mm. and um, when I was in the hospital to- for 11 days, weren't it? Yeah. With um, the anxiety? And no, no. I went into hospital because my temperature went miles out over what it should be. And they kept me in because they couldn't get it down. I was, you know, every day I was having blood tests and all these, and they just couldn't get my temperature down. Um, but I... I Started having anxiety attacks whilst I was in there because I couldn't see my family. I couldn't. I I was even in an isolation room, so I didn't see the doctors and nurses. The door was closed. Nobody was allowed to enter my room unless they were gowned up and everything. And I just started having really, really bad anxiety attacks. Um, and, um, I, you know, I speak to my daughter, crying on the phone to my daughters, which was terrible. Now, when I look back, you know, them, <laughs> they it's awful. but then my eldest daughter said, you need to speak to somebody about it. You know, I, said, I don't need to speak to anybody. I know what's happening. I know what's wrong with me. And she said, well, just speak to somebody. And if it doesn't work for you, you can say, no, I don't want it anymore. So that's what I did. And it was it was a great help, actually. As I don't have the anxiety anymore now. because I've talked it through I'm still seeing the counsellor you know but um and did you get coping
0: skills as well like did you learn coping skills through the work with the counselor then
3: Absolutely yeah breathing
2: skills and
3: all kinds know, of different exercises yeah. to do mentally and physically yeah
2: um yeah it was brilliant and i think for me a counselor is great because you know for example i started seeing the counselor after brian had uh, died i was diagnosed with complex grief and um and at one point because i was suicidal i was with the local me- mental health crisis team And for me, the counsellor was because I knew that they were grieving as well. And apart from grieving, they they were so upset for me, you know, and I thought there were certain things I couldn't tell them because it would have made them feel worse. But with a counsellor, I'm not worried about upsetting her. Do you know what I mean? I can say whatever I want. It's not going to go any further unless you're ill. You know, then they have to, they have a right to, um, well, an obligation to let your your doctors know whatever. And, um, And I took Maureen and Colleen with me when I went to see the psychiatrist the the second or third time, because I just, I knew it was hard for them to understand. Colleen is a bit, and you know, it's each to their own. Colleen is a bit kicking you in the bum and pushing you out the door and going, oh, you can do it. Whereas with Maureen, when I went, I just can't do it. She'd go, don't do it then. And sometimes you just want someone to go, it's okay not to do it. You know, when I didn't go back to Blood Brothers. After Brian had died, I tried and I was ill and it was just so difficult. It sounds like and it was the kindest going. thing
0: you could do at the time for yourself. Well, yeah, you have to take yeah, care of yourself.
2: The, the pressure you know, I booked five holidays in one year and paid for them all. And two of them were going away with the girls and uh, oh, the, the others were with really good friends. And I didn't go on any of them. And the relief going, I'm not going to go. And they'd go, but you've paid for it and everything. But at the time, I just felt safer being at home where my counsellor was, where my help was, in case anything did go wrong. Yeah, so it, it, it's really helped me. Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity.
0: I'm interested listening to you talking how, in the sense that where you're known to be entertainers, that's your foundations, but, but now it seems to be more you're doing advocacy work, you're talking about yeah. how, how it's so important to talk about mental health, talk about cancer and, to, and, so, and just creating a space for other people to talk about it. Would you see that as a, a change in direction or a change in role for you?
2: I think it will have happened by accident, if, if, if anything. We didn't, you know, purposely think, let's go and do this, you know. Again, it's because we're honest you know we just we just say it how it is with us really
3: yeah i think it's just come about because we've been through all these traumatic things in our lives and talking about them um let people know that you can talk about it and you might say something where somebody might go oh my god that happened to me you know yeah. it's just stuff like that you know it's nothing nothing contrived Really and it's the gift
0: of sharing it's, then isn't it there's a huge gift yeah. for well, sharing you know, what's people, going on you know
2: we get letters and people say you're you're so inspirational and you've done this for me and all and you think am I God, that's an amazing thing for somebody to say to you you know mm. and uh, like this girl that I'm doing she said I couldn't have got through it without my her wife my my nurses and you she said I couldn't have got through it without you and um, you've been an inspiration to I me mean, you think oh my god that's such a, a wonderful thing to say you yeah, know. I
3: mean, I think, you know, the royal family, like um Harry, speaking about his mental health problems has helped people enormously, you know, and, and just by talking about... Because there's still a stigma mm.
2: so, yeah.
0: There but, is, it. There
2: is. But Thankfully, it's not as bad, but there is still a stigma. I remember when I was diagnosed then, uh, when I was with Brian, with um, depression, and he said, don't tell the office. And I said, what do you mean? He went, don't tell the office you've got depression, The bike stop booking. You know what I mean? It was like, no, no, it's an illness actor. I get tablets for it and it makes it okay. Mm. You know, and if you don't talk about it and you hide it, it becomes like it's something dirty or something bad that, you know, can only happen to bad people, or whatever, you know. So talking about it just makes it more livable with, if you know what I mean, if that's even the right sense. I understand. I totally
0: understand. Also, I've no. you've got quite a gallows sense of humour as well. I'm Think Linda
2: the gallows hanging, you know, bad, oh, <laughs> sense of humor, yeah. Yeah. I remember on the the uh, the Nolans at home, and Anne had had her results, and they were great, and we were thrilled, and we were saying talking to each other before we heard her good news and so we said well we're at the top of the tower so if it's good news we'll have champagne and if it's bad news we can blow ourselves off <laughs> <laughs> and, and with me Col- you know Colleen had come over and they were all sitting in this wine bar in Blackpool having a chat waiting for Warren and I to come in with my news and I come in and they said well and I went well it's not it's not great news actually it spread to my liver and they were all upset obviously but then Colleen went well is that it? i I come over to Blackpool just for that news, said, <laughs> I wouldn't have. Made, I, you could have told me on the phone. You know, again, it's like Black humour. Yeah, gets to, you through. To, yeah, make the, the elephant in the room not so you know enormous. Yeah. There was that
0: great line when you were first diagnosed, and when you, you had a very good relationship with the nurse, and she she was describing the size of the tumour and she said it's like a sh- small courgette. Oh, courgette. Can you remember what yeah. you said in response to her then?
2: Yeah, we won't be having Ratatouille in this house anymore. <laughs> I'd left mine for a year, you know, and it was um, it was like nine by five, you know, and it was massive and that's how she
0: described it, yeah. I consider you know, hugely important to keep that kind of element, of the fun uh, element in it as well, yeah. whenever possible. Um, 2013, when Bernie died, seemed to have been a real turning point for the family as well. And um, obviously, then it was public but, uh, that this was not only with Bernie, but the others in the family had and were suffering from cancer. And then it also seemed an opportunity for for you to, to reunite as a family. And would you say that was in a way a gift from Bernie that it gave it? it put, you pulled you back together to be even a stronger and tighter unit than before. Um, Colleen yes. says that
2: she she knew we're talking at Bernie's funeral and all of that, yeah. you know. Um, Denise took Denise a little bit longer, didn't mm. it, I think. But I don't think Bernie's death, I mean, that that's just natural. You know, other issues pale into insignificance. It's yeah. not about Bernie. It's not about what we're going through. It's about Bernie's dying, you know. Yeah. And, was, and so we were all there when we could be. And and it wasn't like, well, you know, me and Maureen will go at, three o'clock to see her and then Anne and Denise can go at four o'clock. You know what I mean? So we don't bump into each other. It was nothing like that. And we did, we did become friends again later on after that with Bernie. So maybe without us even realizing is that she, she kind of made us, you know, and my life is so much better with them in it. You know, it's when, when I, I look back and I think, Oh God, we wasted all that time. And, and my life is so much happier and more fulfilled and better with them in it you know I would never want to do that again to go through that again I, and I would do my best to try you know now we're, we're all great friends and it's
3: you know yeah I remember when Bernie was going through her illness just before she died actually she said something to me and I said look I don't want to talk about that now you I just I just want to concentrate on you and what you're going through and everything else is insignificant yeah. at the moment. So you know, just let's concentrate on you getting better, really. I
2: mean we were at bingo and, and <laughs> so funny because we all used to go to bingo together. Our mother loved bingo. That was her only vice, wasn't it? She yeah. didn't drink or smoke and we'd go to bingo together and all. And then when we kind of fell out <laughs> we'd be at two different tables at bingo. People would go, oh your sisters are over there as if we hadn't seen them, you know, we'd go, all oh, right, and all of that. And then one time Denise was there in the road and I said to Maureen, ask Denise if she wants to join us. And it was like, oh you know, and so kind of, it wasn't a big sit down, was it? Unless it just kind no, of I evolved. Actually, I actually wrote
3: a letter on behalf of me and Denise to my other sister, saying, um, "Can we not sort this out? If not for our sake, then for our extended families."
0: Very wise. Yeah, yeah. and there's a perspective that comes also with age as well, that you just yeah. realise what's Absolutely. really important. Yeah, and be, look at the bigger picture. Absolutely,
2: and when you then get a life-threatening illness you think I'd, I'm wasting time here with this you know it's um yeah so it, it was what it was and at the time it was terrible for everyone you know there was no winners really but it was um it's much better now like I said my life is much
0: better but I, I, it's obvious you can see the, the bond there with Denise in it and Denise. <laughs> <laughs> but Anne, you got to go on the cruise. So, <laughs> yeah, so you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. You it was brilliant. You had that, Anne, so you had that great brilliant. experience the East, on
3: actually, the cruise. She asked Denise to do the cruise, and at the time, she just didn't want to do it. Ah. Well, she
2: didn't, and then it coincided with her Judy Garland day, didn't she to keep Judy this. Well, but initially, yeah. she said, Oh, I don't
0: know. I don't know. She said, I don't want yeah. to do that now. She yeah. would have loved it. What a great memory. But you had your, great, yeah. your own great memories. Can I? go back and then ask you about some of the moments that made you so and you wanted to look at some maybe a moment or more that you say really stand out and say I am so glad that happened in my life
3: uh, yeah I'd have to say the best moments for me in my life were when I gave birth to my two daughters and the second one was when my grandchildren were born. and for me those are the best moments in my whole life nothing will ever surpass any of them professionally or
0: personally yeah I understand that's How did that change your life? How did becoming a mother and a grandmother change your life?
2: Well, when she nearly died, becoming a mother—I
0: nearly you? died
2: yeah, the
3: first time when I had—I had, I had eclampsy when my eldest daughter was born. Uh, it changed my life because it made me think of somebody else rather than myself. You know, it made me think I wanted the best for them. I wanted to, you know, everything to be good for them, and it made me think of somebody else rather. Than I put my, you know, rather than putting myself first, I was now putting somebody else first. And it was just, it's just the most amazing feeling
2: I've ever had in my whole life. I always say to them, I always say to the girls, if I've looked after the kids or whatever, you know, and uh, I know that they all love me, you know, because I'm their naughty auntie and all of that. But I always say to the girls, but when you come in the door, you get a smile that I will never get because I didn't have children. No, no, that isn't being, no, that isn't being dramatic. I know, I know. But what I mean is, you do, you get a smile comes in and... uh, you know, it's like when mum and dad were out working, somebody yeah. would look after us. and the minute they came in, I'd go, oh God, they're home. But I do, and it's true. You get a smile, and you know, it's my only regret in life. It's nobody's fault. But I let work get in the way and, and thought, I'll wait, I'll wait. Of course, then it didn't happen. Um, but no, seriously, and, and that's why it is brilliant. I understand that being the most standout.
0: And you are very end. close to your nieces yeah. and nephews, I understand as well, Linda.
2: Yeah, they, they did it on the um, Nolan's at home uh and maureen and colleen said you know you don't have children but we want you to know what your great nieces and, nep- and your nieces and nephews think of. and denise's was you know um you gave us a home when we had nowhere to live, Ryder said, and uh, you took us on the bus. All the money you spend on people and you took us on the bus. And mine was, you let us have chocolate in bed at 12 o'clock at night <laughs> and we can go to bed with a drink and and, and crisps, you know. And uh, you're my inappropriate... What, why did Ryder say? What word did he use? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Somebody being rude. I used roots. to say to Ryder, have you seen my baby rabbit? Like this. <laughs> He's only nine. With two fingers. And of course, he went straight back to his mum and went, have you seen my... And he went, did auntie linda teach you that well, i wasn't you. i just thought it'd be funny yeah. so he said this on the show yes you
0: know, the naughty aunt inappropriate
2: you haven't
3: told us what your greatest moment is i know what you're going to say but... I'm, oh, waiting I'm waiting to hear it. i'm waiting <laughs> oh, i was just okay, going say to come that on really
2: so let's hear um, it. i think getting married to brian and yeah. yeah. <laughs> meeting brian with and meeting friend. him of course yeah and and the day that i realized that i loved him you know and people say do you know you know when you fall in love whatever but I know the day I fell in love with him when I thought I want to spend the rest of my life with him and he was dropping us off for a girly night and going and I thought oh and how old were you you're only 21 I married him when I was 22 yeah I met him when I was 20 yeah and we were married for 26 years and you said and it's still so be amazing together if he hadn't have passed away what yeah. a huge loss yeah oh my god you know it, he spoiled me too um he spoiled me spoiled spoiled me in a way that when he wasn't here it was like oh, I don't know what the word is you know kind of ruined her
3: for anybody else because it <laughs> never be anybody else hard to live up to him you know what I mean? so yeah. yeah so that was a great he, love
2: oh it was the love of my life you know some people don't have that they meet someone they're married and they have a great life but I had the love of my life I found my soulmate and a lot of people don't have that and I appreciate that and I think that's why it was so so hard and so difficult you know I mean I wrote the girls a letter when I was suicidal and my brothers put all their names and the first thing they put was I know you will understand because nobody expected me to be here this long without Brian you know of course they didn't they wouldn't understand and I got help and all of that but yeah it was it was that bad and I think if I had to choose one outstanding moment in our professional lives I would say when we toured with Frank Sinatra. I was just going to say, that, yeah. uh, the Sinatra tour. Yeah. In 1975.
0: What was that like? That was an extraordinary opportunity. What, what was that like? Yeah.
2: I was 15, Bernie was only 13. It was amazing. Absolutely Unbelievable. Amazing. Because we're Sinatra mad, because our dad was Ireland's Frank Sinatra in his day. and um,
3: He brought and us so, up on all that kind of music, you know. So we knew everything about him, where he was born. And
2: we loved him know. as well. Though,
3: and you? and yeah. did you and, get and, to know him um, during
0: um, the tour? Did you get to spend time with him? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we didn't we didn't socialize. He social flew in night. from
2: Geneva every night, yeah. you know. But we used to stand the first day we met him, didn't we? We were walking Perhaps. down the corridor, and we could hear his voice, and it was like, Oh my god, and we had a picture and he called us his daughters in the worst Irish accent you've ever heard. <laughs> and um, and then every night, if if we didn't, we'd see him walking by, and sometimes he'd say hi, or he'd send a message to say, you know, Frank was listening to you tonight, so he thought you did really well. And we were um
3: and he used to allow us to, because obviously oh, yeah. day, all the places were absolutely packed. So he would let us sit on the steps in between the aisles um, and watch the show Watched every the night. Show, yeah. you know? I mean,
2: he'd always wave to us from the stage. Yeah. And he came over and um, the Albert Hall, he was rehearsing and we were watching him and he was singing a song called But Beautiful. And he came over to us and went, you girls won't know this song, and we sang the next chorus. And we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm and bringing I, our dad backstage then to say Mr Sinatra. This is our dad. You know, it was, it was amazing. And at the
3: end, he, he gave us all a little key
2: fob, a little gold fob that said, love and peace, Frank Sinatra. How precious. And, uh, and I, we, we we didn't know what to get him, did we? We no. wanted to get him something at the end of the tour. He had an, an American comedian that still came on the tour, but that's why we were there, because he couldn't do the European dates because of the language barrier. So we bought this beautiful Dutch doll, didn't we? I mean, she was gorgeous, because he'd just become a granddad to uh, AJ. And he, he came out of the... Um, We gave it to the American comedian. He said, I'll make sure I'll give it to Frank myself. And he came out of the dressing room in uh, the last one. We were in Brussels or something at the Opera House. And he came out with Elizabeth Taylor. And he pushed through this guard and all of that and came over to us and said, (laughs) and came over to us and said, "Um, uh, thank you so much for the doll. I'm going to take it in my luggage and give it to AJ from you all. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, my God, he's real. Yeah.
0: What yeah. a great memory. That yeah, was amazing. I have one other question to ask you and to ask you each is, what's your favourite song from your repertoire? And do you want to say, what's your favourite song?
3: Gosh. Oh,
0: a- all the ones that I we mean, sing the
3: lead on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always, always have a love for I'm a Dancing yeah. because it's what really made us as far as recording went. Um, but as regards what I think we did, what was our best thing we ever did, we did a Barbara Streisand medley, you know, a medley of all her songs. And I think that's been my favourite because it was—I just thought it was so good vocal. It was live, and, and we did it live, live on TV.
2: Yeah, and it was just really good. Yeah. Um, I again in the mood for dancing. I still get a buzz, you know, when it's played, and I think, oh my god, it's just amazing. And that will always be there, like Anne said. I loved um, when we worked with uh, did uh, worked with a piano player that worked for us was our MD for a while, Robin Smith. We did chemistry. I loved that mm, with him. Yeah. He was a great writer. And also Who's Gonna Rock, which um Ken Gold and Billy Ocean.
3: yeah and i loved a song that the girls did without me actually they actually won the tokyo musical festival with it called sexy music they all hate it and i really love it it's
2: just funny when you're singing yourself sexy music and it's so funny funny. i watch the video now and i go look at us pretending we're sexy we didn't smile at all (laughs) we're all like this i love some
3: of the stuff we did as well because that really showed our harmonies off you know and that we could actually sing whether you liked us or not you can't really deny that we could sing, you know, and that's That's what stands
0: out. Actually, Um, even again, from going back to where we started with the cruise and I was listening to one of the audios and your harmonies were just so good. And I hadn't realized that you had that natural singing ability uh, because it's it's just lovely to hear. It's funny, you know, we've
2: all been singers and and the kids, some of them can sing really well, you know, and it was never I'm going to be a drummer. I'm going to be a piano player. For me, it was always I'm going to be a singer. You know, the careers teacher comes along and says, So what have you planned? And i go, I'm gonna be a singer, she'd go, Yeah, but what have you planned for a career?
3: <laughs> but even when we sing happy birthday, it's like in full part oh <laughs> Yes. Marvelous so
0: Marvellous. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Ladies, listen, I loved interviewing you. Thank you so much for all oh, your time. Thank you. I will Made go back easy. now and listen to I'm in the mood for dancing and do another little jig around <laughs> the place <laughs> because you definitely put me in the mood. And thank Brilliant. you. And I wish you health and continued success.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: This podcast was recorded and edited by JJ Vernon. My thanks to Anne and Linda Nolan for joining us. And thank you for listening.